Okay, perhaps by now you've had the opportunity to give and also to find Mark. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, at least a few verses of it. So I'm going to read from verse 1, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into the passage together. It says this, Again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd had gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And then his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60 or even a 100 times. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even a 100 times what was sown. Here in chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel, we're heading into a slightly different section now, where we're going to look at a lot of the content of what Jesus was actually teaching. We've, uh, we've seen things that he's, he's taught. We've kind of seen a few parables, a few illustrations before, like the, uh, the new wine going into new wineskins uh, and so on. Uh, really what we know that he's been teaching is recorded right back in chapter 1 um, and verse 15, where Jesus says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So here in this chapter, we see a little bit more of the the content of what Jesus was teaching, kind of the style in which he was teaching as well, might raise some interesting uh, questions. Today we're going to focus on uh, what's called the, the parable of the sower. The great thing about parables, if you like, just illustrations, is that really they have at the heart just one point, one thing for us to uh, get hold of, and we're going to see that as we, as we go through uh, the parable talks about the seed and then explains that the seed that is being scattered is the word, the, the message, the content of what Jesus was, uh, was teaching to these large crowds. The, the sower is the one doing the scattering 
Um, in this case, it's kind of really a good description of what Jesus was doing. He was kind of liberally scattering seed amongst vast crowds of people. He wasn't just going to one place. Oh, I know, I'll definitely find good soil in the synagogue. I'm just going to scatter there. Now he goes out to the lakeside. He goes out to all sorts of different places in, in different people's homes. Um, as well as sometimes being in a synagogue, he is just wanting to spread the good news. Uh, he is uh, looking for a harvest. The, the, the sower, the farmer who's scattering the seed, is not just doing this because he's got nothing better to do. Um, he is investing. He's looking for a harvest to come. That's his hope. That's his expectation. Um, so we find that uh, later on, he's kind of looking forward to um, you know, a crop that will be produced that's maybe 30, maybe 60, or even 100 times um, what was sown. And so there's the seed. There's the sower. The parable, I think, really focuses our attention, however, on the soils. I don't know if you spotted this before, but some of the, 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 the titles that are given to the parables can actually be slightly misleading. So the parable of the lost son, which we're not looking at today, or what's sometimes called the, the prodigal son. Well, that's really Jesus taught, teaching the parable on the father's love. The, the parable here, the, father, uh, the parable of the sower... It's really probably best described as the parable of the soils. The point is, the seed is the same, the sower is the same, what's different is the soil. So what's this getting at? Well, people could have been seeing Jesus teach and preach, and they're seeing people respond in different ways. Maybe they're thinking, why is that? And why is it that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the kind of the religiously really well-educated, knowledgeable Jews of the day, why are they reacting against Jesus rather than really drawing towards him? And why is it that it's the, it's the tax collector, it's the kind of lo- the loan shark, it's the unsavory, nasty guy who kind of responds really quickly to Jesus? Well, Jesus is teaching us this parable to kind of explain these different reactions, different responses to Jesus and his activity. Um, and then it kind of brings an uncomfortable question to us, which we'll get at later on. But, well, I suppose to mention it now, which soil am I? Which soil am I? How well am I listening? How well am I responding to God and his word? Um, there is something that is more important than how clever we are. There is something that is more important than the grades we get in our next tests or exams. There is something that's more important than the grades that we got uh, perhaps some time ago. What's more important than how clever we are and how much we know is how good am I at listening to God? How good am I at listening to him through his word and responding to it. We're going to look at these four different soil types, if you like. Four different um, areas of ground on which the seed was scattered. The path, rocky places, thorny ground and good soil. Are you ready? Here we go with uh, the path. First of all, we see that introduced by Jesus in verse 4. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. The disciples want extra insight into what this means. And so Jesus explains then in verse uh, 15. Some people are like seed along the path. 
where the word is sown. Other translations might refer to the wayside or um, along the road. But here we have it, uh, the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So when the word of God meets a path, it doesn't really kind of penetrate into the ground, into the soil. It stays on the top and it's easy pickings just to suddenly get snatched away. The path then gives us a picture of the hard heart. Uh, Another picture for the hard heart uh, would be this. Now, you're very free to fold your arms today if you find that comfortable. It's just a picture of hard heart. When, when the word of God meets a hard heart, there is a quick reaction straight away which says, yeah, but, yeah, but, that, that's not my situation. That might be true for you, um, but it's not true for me. It can be incredibly polite. Um, it can be a very polite version of hard-heartedness, but straight away... No, doesn't apply to me, or doesn't apply at all, or that's just made up nonsense, or uh, whatever it might be. There can be kind of ways of thinking, um, which Paul says he actually wants to try and and demolish uh, in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. He's saying, look, I've I've not come, uh, this is not a battle against flesh and blood. We're not kind of against people at all. But what I'm trying to do is demolish strongholds or demolish arguments uh, kind of ways of thinking that set themselves up opposed to God. Uh, so the, the quick thought comes in, yeah, but doesn't doesn't apply to me. That's not true. Um, Jesus is just a good guy who was misunderstood. Something, whatever it might be, there's a, a, a thought straight away which is defensive and the truth is not heard. Now that, you know, we might think, oh yes, that's kind of people out there who've never heard about Jesus and so on. There are examples in scripture of hard-hearted um, believers or believers who, in Jesus who become hard-hearted. I think that 1 Timothy chapter 1 might give us an example of this. Um, and, uh, well, reading from verse 18, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18, Paul writing to Timothy, my son, I give you this in- instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Guys who maybe were running well, who'd received something, uh, but they'd made shipwreck of their faith. At some point, they'd become arms-crossed, hard-hearted towards the true gospel. So there we have it. The, The path represents the hard heart with folded arms. What about um, the next soil type? Secondly, we come across uh, rocky places. This is in verse 5 and 6. Jesus says, Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Again, the disciples and the others, the twelve, want extra explanation. They get that in verse 16. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. When the word meets shallow, rocky soil, 
There can be an immediate response, quick growth. There's a response of joy. So the path might be thinking, yeah, but straight away. Rocky places are thinking, wow, this feels good. Um, but there's a, not so much a hard heart, but a shallow heart. And the, so the results are obvious in the early days, but time soon shows the seed, the word of God, didn't really penetrate very far. Didn't get right deep down. There's an emotional response. This feels wonderful. We like the way it made us kind of feel. There might be some physical sensation of just warmth and fuzziness. Um, but it doesn't actually change what we believe. It doesn't really go right down to the core of what we regard to be true. And there are, there are rocks in the way. And maybe we're just thinking, I don't really want to have to dig through all of that. I don't really want to have to sift the soil. Um, I quite like the way it made me feel. I might go back. I might try out some more. But if I'm no longer feeling it, then I'm kind of, I'm elsewhere. I'm drifting off. Maybe there'll be something else that will provide me with that kind of emotional pick-me-up. Yeah, kind of, the Christian faith gave it to me for a little while. But then, kind of, nothing much happened after that. Um, we feel good, we experience something, we're looking for feelings, we want to enjoy ourselves. There's quick enthusiasm and joy. But what starts that way, well, I think the, the shallow heart can be represented like this. Angry fist. It's like, first of all, it was all joy and wonderful, but then something happened. You think, God let me down. So what's described here in, in, in what Jesus goes on to say is that the sun came up. Now you think the sun coming up is a pretty good thing. Hopefully that happens every day. Um, and Jesus says, well, this represents kind of trouble, persecution, because of the word. When trouble or hardship or persecution comes because of the word, and it kind of starts going wrong for the seed sown uh, in rocky places. And obviously, like the sun coming up, this is not a matter of, of if, but a matter of, of when. Uh, so we know from what Jesus said to his disciples in John uh, chapter 16, if we just turn there briefly in verse uh, 33, with tremendous encouragement, Jesus said, I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. There we have it. Encouragement for today. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. At some point, the seed, in, you know, we encounter trouble. We, the temperature gets turned up. The sun's come out, and my goodness. Um, for this soil with no depth, it, uh, the seed gets, uh, the plant that initially has grown gets scorched and withered. It's not had the opportunity. It's not had the, the, the depth of soil to actually put down some roots very deep. Um, so the people who had responded so joyfully at first, it says in verse 17, last only a short time. They quickly fall away. Hurt, bitter, resentful, disappointed. I thought you were for me, God, but you've, you've disappointed me. How, how dare you bring the sun up? How dare you bring this uh, this heat, this light, which has scorched me and withered me. Well, I was—I kind of responded at first, but now I realise what's really going on. I'm out of here. 
Um, Christianity, I tried it, but it didn't work for me. God let me down. No, he didn't. There are, main, there are many amazing promises in the Bible, but you don't find this promise. You will never experience pain or hardship. Well, actually, you do get that as a promise, but it's about glory. It's about heaven. It's about the life to come. It's not a, describing uh, life on the earth right now. Jesus says, you will encounter trouble. Don't lose heart when the Lord disciplines you. He disciplines those he loves. If you're encountering hardship of some sort, it's actually evidence of the grace of God and the love of God. Don't dismiss it. God uses the sun coming up for good, uh, even if sometimes it causes uh, some pain. There are some amazing promises in Scripture, uh, one of which would be uh, Hebrews verse chapter uh, 13 uh, and verse 6, um, where in no uncertain terms... Um, Well, actually, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Whatever happens in life, as we were hearing earlier on, God is a good shepherd. He doesn't leave his people. He provides good pasture. Um, he He blesses us, not by life always being easy and wonderful, but by being with us, promising to be with us and doing us good with his word. Are you one unanswered prayer away from falling away? That is a description I heard um, used this week. Oh, they were just one, one answered prayer away from stepping back, drifting off. Sometimes everything can look so enthusiastic and joy-filled um, on the outside, but then if God doesn't come through, sack it off. I'm gone. I'm away. That's what life is like for the shallow heart, the angry fist, the rocky places. Okay, here we go. Number three. Uh, it gets better. Uh, thorny grounds. Not yet. Um, <laughs> thorny grounds. Go on, hang on a minute. Where are we gone? Um, back there. We meet thorny ground in verse seven, where it says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. And again, we get the the, the benefit of Jesus' conversation later with the disciples, um, in verse 18, he explains, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So, when seed hits the thorny ground, plants do grow, They can appear healthy, they don't wither, they don't die. But the problem is, it becomes apparent, maybe over a longer period of time, they're not producing any grain, they're not producing any fruits. So the plant is there, but it's kind of not got much life about it. And the reason for that is, there are other plants growing in the same soil. There are weeds that haven't been pulled up. The soil is supporting too many different plants. So while the seed is sown and germinates and produces a plant, the plant itself is not strong enough to yield a crop. I guess too much of the nutrition within the soil is going to support other plants. Or the plant is living in the shadow of the other plants that have already grown up, so it doesn't get enough of the rainfall or sunlight um, in order to thrive. One way or another, then, these plants are 
choked, they're inhibited. So this gives us, the thorny ground gives us a picture of not so much the hard heart, everything just bounces off and goes nowhere, or the shallow heart, which kind of like flash in the pan, receives it and then it all dies down. Now this is the overcluttered heart. This is when our heart has too many other things growing in it that haven't been taken up. So the plant is growing, but we're kind of wrapped up in other things. We're kind of getting a bit swamped. And so Jesus gives us three examples of what can be growing in the soil. What else is growing in our hearts that can choke the word of God, making it unfruitful? And uh, he gives us three examples. The worries of this life. Fear and faith can't exist together at the same time. Either we respond in fear or we respond in faith. We can't do them both at the same moment. That's why we mustn't let go in the battle for our minds. Again, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there are thoughts that we have to take captive um, in being fruitful for God. So the worries of this life can come in. Deceitfulness of wealth. In other words, what money says to us is, trust me. Put your hope in me. Put your confidence in me. I'll see you through to the end. I'll look after you. I'll give you a hope and a future, is what money says. And we can be deceived by that and kind of allow it to grow. This kind of love of money comes up in our heart. But actually what it does, it just wraps us up. It tangles us up. It chokes us off. It kind of darkens things. Um, Or just the the desire for other things. And so what we do, what we're called to do is worship God. You are mighty. You are powerful. You are unchanging. You are in control, O God. If these other plants are growing up, what what we start doing is we say to our worries and our fears, you are mighty, you are powerful, you're in control, you're unchanging, and I'm kind of giving my life to you. We can say that to our worries. We can say that to money. You're wonderful. You're powerful. You're trustworthy. You're in control, and I'm going to serve you. Or we can say that to something else. Well, I, I can't. I, I, I want to worship God. Uh, uh, he's, he's been good to me, but I'm, I'm kind of drawn to this at the same time. I can't worship both at the same time. And, oh, I'm, I'm going over here. And it's thorny ground. Something can seem so good and be so desirable and so appealing, uh, but it actually just chokes us off. And we think, oh, it would be better to go this way. I think it's just, I'm being drawn by these other pleasures, these other desires. And God is saying... You're just going to get damaged. You're just going to get choked. I've got fruitful plans for you, but you're heading in the wrong direction. The plant might stay there for a while. There can be some evidence. Yeah, it's kind of still hanging around, walking with God. Just take a closer look. There's no fruit. No fruit. Why is that? Why is that? Giving his heart to something else. And not God. Are we getting an overcluttered heart? Wrapped up. Restricting. We either worship God or we worship problems. We either worship God or we worship money. We either worship God or we worship other pleasures. Let's come before God. I don't know if I mentioned this before recently, but um, 
I think it's the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, is it? The CS novel? Where this really nasty little runt of a boy called Eustace uh, gets turned into a dragon. And um, I think, uh, it's pretty grim stuff. You think, oh, it's interesting really, isn't it? You can make a decision as quite a young person and kind of come later on in life and think, wow, when did you turn into a dragon? Well, I was just giving myself to the wrong things. I was pursuing the wrong desires. I was more interested in this kind of gold um, uh, than in following Aslan or whatever. Anyway, Aslan comes to the rescue. Um, Eustace is kind of trying to scratch himself to get these scales off. He's trying to deal with a problem, but he's, he can't go deep enough. He's just basically hurting himself. Um, Aslan comes along, and he needs Aslan to do what only Aslan can. And it's more painful to get in deeper underneath these scales and rip them off. And sometimes God actually needs to come in and do something more painful and say, let me take away your scales. I don't want you to be a dragon. I don't want you to become a dragon. I don't want you to head in that direction. I, I'm, I'm going to do a work on you, and it's, it's ripping this stuff off. That's just painful. The thorny ground, it's just going to be painful trying to grapple with this stuff and pull it out. Dig right down to the roots as well and just make sure there's no sign of it anywhere. And you think, oh, I've just lost. I've, you know, I thought God wanted good for us, but actually at the moment I just feel lost. Well, if you're feeling lost in some respects, that might be just because God's working on your heart and he wants to dig stuff out. I don't really like this. Well, maybe he's doing it for our good, for your good. He doesn't want to just leave the thorns around to grow even more and crowd even more and take, it, take even more life from the soil till maybe the point does come when the plant is no longer there. The plant has just died and it's gone. Faith in God has just vanished. We need to allow God to help us see the clutter in our hearts and to do what's necessary to take it out. Lastly, we come across... The, the good soil. Hallelujah for the good soil. Um, in verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60 or even a 100 times. The explanation comes in verse 20. Uh, others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. 30, 60 or even a 100 times uh, what was sown. Every soil receives the seed. Well, every seed lands on every soil. But it's only the good soil that really accepts it, really receives it. In other words, everybody listening to Jesus was hearing good news. But hearing is not enough. Do we accept it? Do we take it? Do we admit it? This is true, this is good. Do we chew on it do we pray through it do we god do we ask god's help to understand it actually this chapter slap bang in the middle which i've conveniently uh sidestepped this week but maybe not another time it's got the most challenging verses in the new testament to try and get our heads around when jesus is explaining why he uses the parables and illustrations he's using kind of everyday language um anyway that's for another week uh at the very least what we can say is this is designed to get us chewing. This is designed to get us praying. This is designed to get us to really ask for the help of God to, to grapple with things. It's not just, oh yeah, the word came, it landed, it produced something really quick, but then I got a bit bitter. 
and just ignored it. It's no, the word of God came and I had to do some work. I had to kind of process it. I had to, I had to apply my head. I needed to give some time to, to work through it, to ask questions, to, uh, to try and, 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 and and grapple with it, to, to, to arrive at a point of really believing it, of mixing it with faith, of taking the time to then consider, what difference will this make to me now that I believe it? How am I going to live? How, is this something that I'm going to delight in? How can, Lord, lead me to not just knowing a few verses, but really delighting in your word. Um, which is what we see in, 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 uh, in Psalm 119. Um, just reading there, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. You see there, the psalmist has done something with the word of God. He's put it into his own heart. He's worked at it. He wants to live his life according to it. He wants to seek it with all his heart. He's also saying, oh God, I need your help. Lord, teach me your decrees. Uh, and it's kind of both and. Do we delight in the word of God? Do we chew it over? Do we accept it? Do we enjoy kind of discussing it together? But let's also see this. Every soil type receives the seed. At least in the sense that it is sown. And lands on the ground. Every soil type experiences the sun coming up. Did you notice that? It wasn't just the rocky places that the sun comes up on and scorches it. Actually, the sun comes up on everything. And the sun comes up and it's absolutely necessary to have sun as well as rain for this seed which has life in it to then grow. Kind of means this good soil is not trouble-free. I just spent a couple of days uh, this week, just brilliant time, with a few, um, a few leaders of other churches, um, different points in the nation, different uh, groups that they're a part of. And it's basically a couple of days of just going around the room. It's like therapy for pastors. It's the closest I'll get to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm, uh, my name is Dan, and I've been a church pastor for uh, <laughs> however many years or months. Um, oh, it was just a rich source of encouragement. Now, why was it that? Sometimes people, you know, these different guys were saying, well, here, here's the good stuff and the challenges that are going on in life. But some of it was just this, the stuff of life. It wasn't just about church. It wasn't just about challenges in church. It was the stuff of discipleship. And saying, actually, one guy just saying, I, I hate cancer. Um, I got prostate cancer. I hate cancer. Um, but, he said, I love God. And God has changed me. And God has worked in my heart through the experience of having prostate cancer and going through the treatment and not knowing what the future holds. And still don't know what the future holds. It's, it's changed me and I, love, and I love God more. Another guy is kind of saying, well, we'd saved up a lot of money as a church and uh, we, we thought a plan to... Be able to build and invest in our own big building in the centre of town was all going to come good. And we spent 180 grand on the process of planning and designing and applications and so on. And the council said no. And we lost that money. And so we're pursuing a different strategy. It's not any longer about the big building. Saying, wow, 
uh, and just think, but you're walking with God through this, and you're seeing God answer prayer, and you're seeing God lead you, and you think, what loss? All the things, all the desires that have just been ripped up out of the ground. You think, the sun coming up on good soil, it's a means of grace. It's a means of people just walk, learning to walk with God and producing more fruit. It's not carefree. It's not easy. It's not wonderful. And reading recently in a book uh, called uh, Forgotten God, which is just uh, a very accessible book about the work and person of the Spirit of God in our lives, the author, Francis Chan, uh, kind of just puts the spotlight on a few people that he knows in terms of seeing, look, look at the evidence of the Spirit of God at work in people's life. And he was recently, he says, recently I was asked, who is the most spirit-filled person you know? My response, on page 39, by the way, Joni Erickson Tada. In 1967, a diving accident left then 17-year-old Joni a quadriplegic. Lying in a hospital bed, she was filled with an overwhelming desire to end her life. The thought of spending the rest of her years paralyzed from the neck down and relying on others to care for her basic needs was staggering. 1967, 17 years old. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You're thinking of all the options and dreams and what you might do and where you might go and and what your life is going to be about. You're 17. She was 17 and she can no longer move her body beneath her neck for the rest of her life. But Joni did not end her life that day. Instead, she chose to surrender it to God. Little did she know that the Spirit of God would transform her. This is Francis speaking. This is someone else, not her. Little did she know that the Spirit of God would transform her into one of the godliest women ever to grace this earth. God gave her a humility and a love that enables her to look beyond her own pain and see others' hurts. She is a person who consistently, in humility, counts herself more significant. uh, Sorry. Counts others more significant than herself, an embodiment of Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 3. He goes on to describe some of the many things that she's done in life um, since that accident as a 17-year-old, um, different ways in which her life has borne fruit. But then it just concludes this. Yet it, it's not because of these accomplishments that I consider her the most spirit-filled person I know. Actually, it has nothing to do with all she has accomplished. It has to do with the fact that you can't spend... Ten minutes with Joni before she breaks out in song, quotes scripture, or shares a touching and timely word of encouragement. I have never seen the fruit of the Spirit more obviously displayed in a person's life as when I'm with Joni. I can't seem to have a conversation with her without shedding tears. It's because she is a person whose life at every level gives evidence of the Spirit's work in and through her. See, the sun comes up. We either go, forget it, sack it, I'm out of here. Or we surrender our lives and then we see the fruit of God coming as a result. Or maybe it's the case that actually we see fruit in one another's life. Maybe she doesn't see as much fruit in her life. But Francis comes along and thinks, my goodness, I've never been so encouraged in ten minutes ever than just in having had a conversation with her. Good soil. The seed goes in, it's, it's accepted, it's received, and then it produces a crop. And it, it multiplies. The seed that was sown in one life, it kind of like just produces more. It's kind of blossoming. It's kind of 
every minute or every ten minutes, there's example of yeah, the fruit of the Spirit, the work of God, a, a multiplying of His work in our life. And here is, I think, this is the position in conclusion where I have arrived personally in having looked at this passage this week. I would invite you to consider the same conclusion and it is this. My heart is my responsibility. My heart is my responsibility. I'm blessed by what the Spirit of God has sown into my heart. I'm blessed that he's in me. He dwells in me. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Going back to Psalm 119, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says, break up your unplowed ground. God's about to do something awesome. He's going to send rain. He's going to send the sun to, to shine upon you. He's the one sowing the seed. You break up your ground. Turn it over. What sort of soil am I right now? It doesn't matter what sort of... Now, at this point in time, it doesn't matter what soil I was when I was 15 or when I was 20 or when I was 25 or when I was 30. It doesn't actually matter what the soil was like last week. What matters now is the soil and its condition today. And how I respond in any given moment. I can respond in fear. I can respond in faith. I can respond in worshipping God. I can choose to worship something else. I can choose to surrender my life to him. Or I can choose to get disappointed and bitter over here. The choice is mine. How will I respond to the sun coming up tomorrow? How will I respond to reading the word of God right now? And what else is growing in my heart right now? If it's there, it's there because I've let it. So, my dad is not responsible for my heart. My mum is not responsible for my heart. My wife is not responsible for my heart. My children are not responsible for my heart. My siblings aren't responsible for my heart. My neighbours aren't responsible for my heart. My colleagues are not responsible for my heart. I am responsible for my heart. Whatever has happened and whatever will happen. Does that leave me with some work to do? Are there some things to rip out of the soil today? Does it need just breaking up completely? I am completely reliant on the grace of God and his persistence with me, the farmer, the sower, or the shepherd, to change the analogy. I'm not kind of saying... It's just down to me. But I have a responsibility to sort my heart out. I invite you to reach the same conclusion today. If you today hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today to turn to God, to receive the word.
to humble myself. I spent some time this week with just some incredibly beautiful, humble men. I've read of an incredibly beautiful, humble woman who's made it their response. In light of challenges and grief and pain and disappointment, I don't know. I kind of have that much, and I've heard some people who've got this much. I say, wow, this has become a means of grace to you. You're worshipping God more through the experience of having prostate cancer. You're worshipping God more after he's picked the scales off your heart, which included taking away 180 grand. You, you love God more, and you've had to walk through that. And then we would just stand and worship. Just undid me. Absolutely undid me. To hear testimony after testimony of something that has just become quite beautiful. So we don't want hard hearts. We don't want shallow hearts. And we don't want cluttered hearts. We want soft hearts. That are ready to receive the the word of God. And worship him in faith. You are mighty. You are powerful. You are good. I trust you. I'm putting my life in your hands, O God. Amen. Let's pray.